Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Mayito Minutes podcast. I am bringing back interviews. For those of you that have followed the podcast with any regularity, you guys have noticed that there has been a scarcity of interviews, probably for like 100 episodes now. Um, and so I'm getting back into it. And I am pleased to have Adam Roberish on the podcast today. Adam rides for the Elevate KHS Pro Cycling Team. And I've had this guy around me for a long time and it just dawned on me a couple of days ago. I was like, he'd be a great guy to have on the podcast. And thankfully he's given up some of his time to uh, be on here and to share some information with us. So Adam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mario. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's just jump into Adam. You're on elevate KHS uh, this year, first year on the team. Can you kind of back up and give us a little bit of background, however far back you want to go into cycling? Yeah, it's been my first year with uh, Elevate. Actually, my first year racing uh, outside of the Canadian team. So it's been great. Um, I've been practicing English a lot. And um, yeah, I've been racing professionally for three years now. Um, and I've been racing on the road for four years. Um, I started road when I was junior, uh, second year junior, before I was doing a lot of mountain biking and cross-country skiing. And um, yeah, I, I, since, since, since I'm just addicted to it, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam, um, four, four years and you're on a, you're on a, con you're on a UCI Continental professional team. And before this, you were on Silver, correct? Which was yeah. also a professional continental team. Yeah. How? I mean, it, it, it happened quick. Obviously, four years is like a very short period of time to get to the level that you've been at. Um, was it kind of one of these things where you kind of didn't really know what you were doing and you're just kind of jumping through the hoops and, and moving up the ranks? Or did you know what you were doing and were you scared? Or how did you kind of, how did you kind of approach the fact that you were just, you know, go, moving up so fast? Um, I don't know. I was, I, I've been racing mountain bikes that I, since I was like very young, since uh, seven years old. And um, I kind of always struggle with like um, the more technical aspect of road biking. And I, I would always love like those short track when you're just like in the peloton in the mountain bike racing. So um, I don't know. When I was second year junior, everybody everybody was telling me like, "Oh, you, I, you're so strong. I think you should try road." So I just try um, Canadian National, and uh, I ended up in the right break at the right time, and I won the race. So it all like began from there. I I just got invited to do some racing in Europe, and yeah, it just like it was a pretty big learning curve, but. From from that, I was just okay. That's that's yeah, that's the right thing. Like, there's I don't know in mountain biking. I feel like the training was very nice, but um, racing is always kind of the same thing, and it's always the same competitor, and you're always pretty like really know how it's gonna end pretty much. But I really like the like the racing and road situation that involves a lot more strategy and like uncertainty. So. Um, yeah, so I like from there I just kept trying to learn as fast as I could and um yeah, I was lucky on the way and I'm 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 grateful for the opportunity that I was able to take. Yeah. 
Yeah, so one way that I've heard like road racing described is like a chess match on wheels, right? So like you're yeah, just always yeah. having to think and you're having to make calculations and there are just so, you know, situations become so dynamic and you know, one one moment you guys are in control, the next moment something happens, it changes everything. But let's go back to so <laughs> you jump on the road, you know, they're telling you, "Hey, I think you might be pretty good at this thing." And then you go and you do the Canadian, you know, championships and and you win the race. When you won that race, was the mindset like, do, do you feel that it was a good thing that you won? Do you feel that looking back on it, it kind of maybe set you up with an unrealistic expectation? I mean, how did things evolve from there? Um, that's a good question. Like, I approached the race without really no expectation because I was like on the smallest team you can possibly be. And um, I don't know, but I think it was maybe a good thing too because um like at this stage i was like i said last year junior and just allowed me to do like to have so much like to like one month after i was racing for two months in belgium so um like right away i had like the experience that pretty much nobody gets in america so um yeah i kind of get got like very lucky at the right time but um yeah for sure it, it set the expectation high but like you know, like in road racing, everybody justify it by saying like you were kind of lucky. But so like I didn't thought of myself as stronger than the other guys. And I like I, I knew I had like a lot of work to do. So I think like if you consider it as at the at, at the hall, I think at, I was it was a good thing that I was yeah. able to win it. Well, yeah. you said so you said after that you did a stint over in Belgium. Yeah, you so, were, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no yeah. So, well, okay, t- tell us a little bit about that. Like, the, the national team, they took you guys over there? Yeah. Yeah, what they did is that they select, like, six riders um, to race down there to do, like, the biggest uh, junior races down there. And um, in the, those six riders, they're going to select four riders to go to uh, Worlds. So, um, yeah, I, like... It went pretty good there too. I was selected for for worlds and um yeah it was it was a great i i think it's like like the racing is not the same as in america so um it's nice to kind of um, to kind of know a little bit uh, another kind of uh, culture and uh, racing culture and um yeah it was also nice to learn a little bit how to race like as a teammate because I it was my first time racing as a team in mountain bike you're always by yourself so um yeah it was a nice experience well here's the reason why I'm asking um yeah and and the 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 Williams Racing Academy who I work for and I'm and I'm a coach yeah. for like we're big on we're big on every year we take riders out to Belgium to oh, race great. and so the reason why I'm asking that question is because, okay, your first experience kind of out of the box, you go to the Canadian national championships, you kind of do the thing and you win and everybody's saying, Hey, um, yeah, there's some luck involved and having to figure out the right breakaway and so on and so forth. But, you know, a little bit after that, you go over to Belgium and I mean, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think what you realize the difference in the racing in in the in north america versus the difference in the racing for example like in europe and a place like belgium is sure um the 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 luck might be that one race you finish third and the next race you get ninth and then the next race you win and then the next race you get fourth but you're always 
around. You're always present. You're always in the mix. You're always close, right? Yeah. So how much of it is actually really luck and how much of it is actually really, it's a very aggressive kind of racing where the folks that are willing to take those risks and willing to put themselves out there, they just generally surprise find themselves at the pointy end of the race. And so sure, there's going to be small little things that are going to happen, you know, at the at the critical moments of that race that will, you know, allow you to be top five instead of maybe top 10. But for the most part, there's a lot less quote unquote luck, right. That goes into yeah. that caliber of racing. Right. I mean, would you say that that's accurate? Oh yeah, for sure. It's not like, like you describe it perfectly. I, I feel like in, um, um, it's it's always play out like there's so much more action. That's one thing I I would like really like about this kind of racing is just all out from the beginning to the end. Like in America, we let the break go and it's easy for the rest of the day. And if you're not a climber, I mean your chance of getting up first of the climb are pretty thin. But like in Belgium, from the start, like breaks are going, but breaks are catching breaks, and like it's everywhere over the road. And yeah, like you said. You're gonna finish in a group. Maybe you're gonna finish tenth or uh, or fifth. But like, if you're strong, if you're able to race your bike, and if you're willing to put it all in, your position is not gonna change that much. And Adam, why? Like, you know, you're you're lighting up talking about this, and you're getting excited thinking about that kind of racing. Like, why is it that you like that kind of racing? Like, what is it that? Because. I mean, it's harder, right? I mean, it's, let's face it, you know, you don't get to sit around and kind of hang out for three hours because the break of the day is up the road and you're like, well, I guess the last feature of the day, that climb is not coming for another two and a half hours. So I get to relax. Yeah. I mean, why would you enjoy, like you said, the, the just, I mean, there's constantly stuff going, there's people just off the back, there's groups reforming and all that. I mean, what is it that makes that more exciting? I think because there's just no no place to really think. You just go like you're just in the flow all the way. You just like follow moves. You just don't don't have the time to get bored. And I mean, we're racing to push our bodies. We're not racing to hang out in a pack. So um, I don't know. I just like I just like that's why I like when it's raining days because you have more uncertainty and people are willing maybe to like profit from it. But um, yeah, I prefer it a lot better when it's just all out from the the beginning. So, it, let's let yeah, let's camp there. Like with this style of racing, yeah. it also seems that it would give you like a more accurate picture of like what you're what you're willing and not willing to do, and kind of where your mind is. Right? I mean, it really will bear you down and just kind of have you sitting there like you know naked, thinking to yourself. Man, I, wow, I, I don't know that I'm in for this. Or, man, I'm totally in for this. Let's get more of this, right? I mean, it kind of separates people, doesn't it? I mean, it's basically kind of the crucible, the testing ground for, you know, how bad do you want to actually really do this on a professional level and make a living out of this, right? Yeah, yeah, because you have to be all in four hours rather than be all in for 20 minutes. So, yeah, if <laughs> you're not willing to suffer for four hours and... Uh, be willing to go when you don't want to go anymore because that's the thing I feel like um, it's really easy to like follow and just go hard for the first one hour or two hours but when it's really important and like you're three hours and 15 in the race and there's 45 kilometers to go there's not that much guys that are willing like to give um, 
<laughs> the extra the extra push that you don't know if you're gonna cramp and explode, but that is like is if you want to win the race, you have to give it. So that's that's maybe the fun part. You you you're just on the edge of not knowing if you're gonna break or not. <laughs> that Adam, that that's like perfect. And that was one of the things that I was thinking about this morning. You know, I was I, I said something to the effect of you know, there's a lot of guys. Um, you know, doing what we do with, with cycling or with athletics in general, we'll walk up to the edge uh, of the cliff and, and we'll, and we'll look over the cliff. And, and when you look over the cliff, you don't really know what will happen if you jump. And there are those athletes that are, they'll look and be like, yeah, you know, turn around and, and walk back. And then there are those that will jump. And if you jump with 45 K to go, like you said, you have no idea what's going to happen. And, there's a lot of uncertainty there and there's no manual on how your body's going to handle it, how your mind will handle it emotionally, how you will handle it once it's all said and done. I mean, it, it could end up being a great thing that you did and it could end up being a catastrophic thing that you did. But how do you, how do you handle, how do you handle getting to that place where you're willing to jump more often than not, you know, and get into those particular situations um, when you jump and, it doesn't end up going well per se. I feel like you have to be okay with any outcome. Um, yeah. And just know that nobody, no matter the outcome, you're going to be able to deal with it and learn from it. And you also need to remind yourself that if you don't jump, you're going to regret it. And I feel like after a race, it's way worse for me to uh, regret something than to, um, just do it and if it goes bad at least i know that i've tried so um yeah like i always say the, the like the pain of regrets is way way um is way way worse than the pain of uh, having the discipline to to jump to use your metaphor so um yeah i feel like for sure going all in a lot of time it's not gonna pay off but uh, when it's gonna pay off i feel like it's worth it and even when it's not it's not paying us. I feel like it's still better than regretting and just replaying in your mind what might have happened. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that being established kind of both, you know, you and I, I'm in agreement with you that it's just, it's better to look and see what's behind the curtain, you know? I mean, let's just, let's just figure it out, you know? Uh, because yeah. I think there, th because, because either way, I think there's a process that can be applied there with, okay, now I can look at a performance, I can look at a particular decision, and I can ask some good, solid questions about it, and I can learn and grow, and I can get better from that, whether it went well or whether it didn't go well, right? But um, with somebody that has that kind of an outlook and somebody that has that kind of an attitude, that kind of a perspective, it, it would be difficult maybe at times to think to ourselves, like, is it, I'll ask this, is it always good to jump? I mean, are there situations that you can think of where, you know what, it's probably not a good idea to jump right now at this time. This is probably not a wise decision. Um, maybe another time or what have you. I mean, do you, have you come across maybe, if you want to give an example even of, of maybe a time when that's, you know, maybe kind of happened to you personally? Oh yeah, that's, that's like, that's for sure. I think, um, you have a certain amount of like, uh, matches in a race and you have to be very selective on where you put your effort. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's the same thing that like refusing 
not to go when you know it's the right right thing to do because you're not willing to to do something that you're not comfortable over like a, a really good example for me uh, would be like I, I'm still learning a lot going downhill because going down a road bike it's not the same as going down a mountain bike and I know that I shouldn't lose the wheel um um like for example I, I was in a break so I I, I know I, I'm not I shouldn't lose the wheel I, ha I have to give like the extra the extra push yeah it's gonna feel no i'm gonna be scared a lot and it's gonna be a lot of discomfort but i know it's worth it but um i feel like it's not the same that saying oh i shouldn't follow this move right now because i gotta save myself for sure sometimes you have to out outsmart if especially if you race for gc um you gotta be very selective on what you follow and where you put your matches so um yeah i've like yeah, and sometimes you're just gonna not gonna know if it's if you need to go or not. But um, yeah, not <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say. I sometimes you don't know, and either you take a chance or you don't, and you try to figure it out, and you get better and better knowing when it's really the time to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I think repetitions are are critical, right? I mean, it's kind of yeah. one of those things where the more races and the more situations you've been in and the more you practice, you know, I know that you're very intentional about practicing different scenarios and such. So like you're talking about wanting to get better at descending. So I'm sure you're seeking out just to try and do as much descending as you can so that you can get better at that particular skill. And, you know, I, I think for, you know, I, I would say to, to this point to kind of tie a bow on what we're talking about here, it's when you have that intuition, right? and you go all in on that intuition that that's when you know you've hit the nail on the head and you've made the right decision right so sometimes the intuition is i don't think that this is the best time to actually follow the move that just went up the road and if you yeah. back yourself on that and if you decide not to go with that then that's that's good you feel good about that now if yeah. you feel like it was a good time to follow that move and you don't do it then you exactly. feel bad about that but i would even i would even say that there are some times when you see guys race and they think to themselves, it's not a good idea to follow the move. So that's their intuition, but their lack of confidence starts saying, yeah, but if you don't follow that move, are you going to be able to keep up on the last climb when everybody goes crazy? And so then they follow the move. And so sometimes you're, you're looking at somebody and you go, man, that, that, that guy went across to that breakaway with 60 kilometers to go. Like he really went for it today. But I mean, this is where the mind is so tricky, right? Because if you got that guy alone and you talk to that guy, like, why did you do that? You were the GC guy and you went across to a break with 60 kilometers to go. Like we were riding for you. We were protecting you. What happened? You you start to maybe realize like that person, I, I, I wasn't confident. There was an eight kilometer climb at the end and I just didn't feel like I would have the legs to go with the GC guys. And so I went. And so even sometimes the, the bullish, aggressive, like, you know, oh man, that guy's really taking the race by the, by the horns, like type of attitude. Sometimes it's masking, right? Um, a lack of self-confidence. And so it really comes down to, you know, you and your own personal journey and your own personal battle that you're fighting within your mind, right? Oh yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Like it's like, I feel like it's easier a lot of time just for guys to, like you said, just go all in and like try to take their break and make it seem like they gave everything. But um, I feel like it's way harder to just wait and be able to have, have the self-confidence to handle the pressure, to know you're going to have everything at the end. 
that takes like so much like trust in yourself. And uh, yeah, like you said, from the outside, it looks like maybe the guy who went before had the most courage, but I feel like the guy who wait, waited for the cru crucial moment and trust that he, he did put the work to be there. Um, yeah, it takes a lot more, um, a, yeah, a lot more confidence in yourself and a lot more control too. Yeah. Yeah. So Adam, I mean, what's, what's the difference in being like a domestique, right? Somebody who's given a role at the beginning of the day saying, Hey, we need you to do this for, you know, such and such rider. Um, yeah. And I know you've had a couple of experiences like that. I mean, I know you guys just came off of the tour of the Hilo where you guys won the won the overall with James. What's the difference between how you would approach that and then how you would approach being being the guy that, you know, your director sportif is lining up saying you are the guy that we are racing for. Uh, what's the difference in the mindset there, do you think, if there is any? Um, I feel like, first of all, you need to accept your role. That's a, like a very hard thing sometimes like you have to be committed at 100% to what you do like if you're a helper this day you cannot try to be a helper half like half a helper and half a GC or half a helper and half a sprinter because you're just gonna mess up both so first of all you need to commit like 100% to your role and um, yeah after like if you're a helper after you just like it's it's something you learn to take proud in the victory of others. And I think it's something that the team cultivate. And I think Elevate is doing a great job also to like um, being able to appreciate everybody's success and like knowing that uh, like everybody is dependable on everyone. Um, yeah. And being a GC rider, it's, I feel like um, I never, I, I was not in GC rider in the last two years, but when I was, um, I've been a GC rider the the year before, and um, I feel like it's just um, more pressure. Like you know, like all those guys are burning matches and doing everything for you, and you just, like I said, have you need to have a very strong confidence in yourself that you're gonna be able to put it off. And um, yeah, and on the other hand, like as a teammate, I'm not gonna be angry if like James did the job in Hila, but if he didn't do the job, I I. I I know he's done everything in his power. And at the end of the day, if I know he gave everything, I'm not going to be frustrated against him. I just going to, I'm just going to feel bad for us. Not feel bad, but I'm just going to like, that's maybe, maybe it wasn't our day, but um, yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's the big difference. Yeah. Is it like, is it harder to, um, gosh, what race was it? I was watching uh, the race that, uh, that, Brandon McNulty won over in Italy. I can't remember which yeah. one it was, and it was a big deal. And there yeah. was that one of his one of his riders. Uh, my gosh, the the guy. I don't know. He might have died on the side of the road. Like like when he pulled <laughs> off, it was amazing. He kept he kept flicking his elbow, but but he would keep on the front, you know. And he just gave. I mean, I, he gave every last ounce he had. Um, and you see that over and over about guys that work for other people. Is it? Is it, would you say it's easier, it's harder to, to empty the tank when you are the guy that you're working for somebody versus the GC guy? Is is there a difference there? Do you see a different obstacle since you've been on both sides of that? Um, I don't know which one is harder to empty the tank, to be honest. Um, 
I feel like when you're working with someone, um, it's maybe more like uh, straightforward what you have to do. So there's less thinking involved because when you're the one who needs to win the race, um, you also need to figure out how you're going to win it. Um, but if, if you're a worker, it's more like executing the plan. So I, I, I feel like mentally it's harder to be um, the GC guy or the sprinter. But I also feel on the other hand that it's like we work so hard personally to have results that um, it takes like mental confidence in yourself that you're going to have your chance and mental confidence that it's worth it also to work with someone, to, to work for someone. Because like, let's face it, you're like um, putting so much work into your development and you're like giving this to someone else so you need to very like it's you need to accept that it's a, a teamwork that if you're able to do that for them they're going to repay you um one day and one day it's going to be them that are going to work for you or or they're just going to recognize your work as a as a great helper so it's not the same same type same type of things but um yeah yeah there's yeah, and you guys, I mean, you know, Elevate KHS is, uh, I believe you guys are the best team in the country right now. I'm I'm pretty sure, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, like, in, we won the most races in the, yeah. like, in the races in North America, yeah. So, like, kind of what it, what it takes is you're on a team, right? You're part of an organization, but, you know, you're in Canada, and, you know, you guys have Jordan, you know, in Canada as well, and James, you know, bouncing back and forth, and then you've got guys all over the United States, and so you've got guys all over the place, and, but at the same time, we're thinking you guys are part of Elevate KHS. When we all come together at a race, the goal is to get somebody across the line first, um, you know, is it going to be sprint heavy? Okay. We've got those guys. Is it going to have some climbing? Okay. We've got those guys. Is it going to be somewhere in the middle where we've got some rolling terrain and we've got those kind of guys. Does it have time trials? Right. So you guys are all assessing this. So it's, um, it, it takes a, an individual focus when you're training, right? Because you're thinking to yourself, how can I be the best asset to elevate KHS, whether I'm a GC guy, whether I'm a worker, whether I'm whatever it happens to be. And it's easy. I arrive to the race in the best form and the best condition that I can be in. And that's the best service that I can do for my team. Right. So um, and, and that in turn allows you to ride better and fulfill that particular role, whatever that role happens to be that you're going to be called upon to do. Right. Um, so it, it's interesting, especially in cycling where, you know, if you're not on a national team, you guys all have different coaches. You guys all train in different places. You guys don't see each other for long periods of time. But then when we come together, we're like, okay, guys, we're a team. Let's go win the race. Well, as you guys are at home, you guys are like beating on your craft and like trying to be the best version of yourself every single day so that when you get to the race, you can perform at the level that is going to be expected of you once you guys all get together. So speak to me a little bit about like how you take on that responsibility and, you know, what are some of the things that you feel are crucial to you um, being at your best when you arrive at an event for your team? 
Yeah, no, you train accordingly to the demand of the team. So, like, for example, I know that I'm never going to have to sprint for the win. So, um, and, but I know I'm going to have to ride in, in front for three hours. So, I'm going to adjust the, the, the training accordingly. And it's the same thing for the sprinters. The sprinters know they, they got to sprint at the end. So, they're not going to try to go up climbs because there are no any ways they're going to ride three hours before the climb. So, um, yeah, you really have to, um, to adjust your training around what's your, what are your strengths, but also what the teams need of you. And you combine those two. And by combining those two, you're the most helpful to your team. And when your team like needs you to win, um, but you can too, because you work on, on those parts where you are very strong. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm just like I told you, we don't we don't have a structure for this. So uh, a thought just popped up. You suffered. Um, did you did you crash? You crashed at a race earlier this year in training yeah. or racing or what? What happened? I can't remember. It wasn't. Um, we were doing a, a criterium in Ureta, um for the preparation for a tour of Taiwan. Um, our director wanted us to be um, all that he wanted all the the riders from uh, that were doing tour of Taiwan to be there just um to practice um like our team chemistry and uh yeah i i i just i i crashed i um i was cut with the wheel with the guy in front of me and i i uh, broke my collarbone um it was my first time i broke something but um yeah it was uh <laughs> like physically it was hurting and uh but i feel like um there is a lot of things to be learned like the way I ride too I um I was always like it's a junior junior mistake but I was constant not constantly but I was sometimes looking back and that's a, a thing that I need to avoid more and more and um yeah I was lucky too the healing went pretty fast I was able to be on the bike like one week and a half after the break I was uh, on the trainer here uh, in Quebec so um yeah, I started Joe Martin. I'm not sure it was the best idea because um, collarbone was not fully healed. And like, if I crashed for sure, it was breaking again. But um, I talked with the director sportif and he was like, okay, you're just going to ride the front for the two first day because we, we know we need uh, someone to ride the front all day um, for our sprinter. So I was like, oh, okay, if, if I just ride the front all day, I know I'm good at it. So if I just ride the front all day and I avoid being like in the chaos of the peloton. And if you're okay with that, I mean, that's great for me. And after there's like a TT on a road bike. So with the collarbone, I was still okay. So yeah, I started racing back after like three weeks and a half after the break. And uh, yeah, right now it's feeling, feeling pretty great. It's been like uh, eight weeks. So um, I'm feeling like normal again. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, Okay, let let's let's go back to the let's go back to the crash. You said you're on the you said you're on the trainer a week and a half after. Yeah. So you go through you go through and you crash. You say it hurts. Um did you do did you do anything to try to promote healing or was it literally a in a week and a half I'm going to get on the trainer. I know this is going to hurt, but it's what needs to be done cuz I don't want to lose any more fitness. I mean, what what was um, the first, yeah, the first thing I wanted to know was 
um, like, can I, I make it worse if I train? So, um, yeah, I went to uh, radiography and I went to uh, the doctor just to know. And like when he told me, no, you cannot, like, you can pretty much uh, worsen it and it's going to heal by itself. Uh, we don't have to put plates. Um, just hold your, <laughs> hold your arm when, when you're training and it's not going to get worse. I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going. And uh, yeah, it was like, it was hurting, but I mean, when you're training, the legs hurt too. So it was just a distraction maybe from the pain in the legs. So it was that bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I'm curious. I mean, you do, you do imagery, do you not? Do you do any uh, yeah, kind yeah, of I imagery? Did imagery? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, you, you did do some imagery with specifically with your injury. Um, I'm not sure uh, imagery you're talking about, like knowing if it's breaking. If it's breaking no, no, no. Or, like imagery, yeah. like visualization, right? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. 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 I actually did. Um, yeah, I actually did like each, each morning I would visualize the health. I would visualize myself standing on the bike, visualize myself, um, lifting my arm. Um, I would do that like three times, three times a day. Um, I would do that in the morning, just, uh, just when I wake up, um, after going to my journal, I would do that in the, the afternoon, just after my meditation. And I would go over that just before my planning for the next day, um, uh, just before going to bed. So it was kind of a routine. I don't know. I'm not sure it helped, but like I was, I was committed to put all the chance on my side and i read a lot of book with the placebo thing and that the placebo is real so i was like i'm just gonna believe in it it's gonna work and yeah i think it i think it helps you you and i you and i are you know we're huge on mindset right we talked on we talked at training camp and we kind of hit yeah. it off because we're like hey oh my gosh yeah great you know this is yeah i'm looking <laughs> to get into this and great this is what i do for a living and um yeah no there's there, there's research out there. I hadn't talked to you since since then. I mean, I saw you at Joe Martin, but um, there's research that shows that that if you do imagery like visualization type exercises, visualizing that bone healing itself or whatever injury it is healing itself, that it actually can promote healing. And for a lot of people, they're just it's so far removed from what they would think. They're just like, that's that's crazy to think that right like it's yeah. like magic yeah. but but is it that crazy to think that when we know that if you're doing imagery and visualization with having a good performance that the likelihood of that performance happening goes up it's still a body performing something and over here it's a body healing an injury it's the, it's the same thing right and the same neurological pathways are being used and so on and so forth and so i was curious to ask you because yeah i mean you know you you've heard stories of people coming back you know week and a half i mean you know there's the whole thing going around now people don't know whether bernal's collarbone was even broken cuz he's taking koms and all this other kind of stuff right and it's like that's the news of the day but it's like you were not only back in a week and a half, but you were racing Joe Martin. And I mean, you're not going to tell people, so I'll tell them. I mean, didn't you get, what did you finish in the time trial? Weren't you fourth or fifth in the time fourth. trial? I was fourth. Yeah, that you was got fourth, fourth overall in the time trial. Like, so, it, I mean, you you rode really, really well. And then I remember I was like, hey, how'd you do? And you're like, oh, it went okay, but I'm dropping out because, you know, I don't want to do the crit in the rain. And I was like, I, I'm, good, good for you. Good. You got out alive. 
you didn't hurt yourself more. But I mean, you know, how much of that was, um, you know, you just being a tough guy and, and you like, you know, just dealing with the pain. I'm sure there was some of that. I'm sure there was some discomfort that was there. But how much did you maybe help yourself by doing something like this imagery, like this visualization so that sure, the collarbone obviously still was not 100% healed when you did Joe Martin, but was it better off than if you would not have done these exercises? I mean, Nobody knows we, we weren't going to do x-rays on you every day to see what the injury <laughs> was or was not doing. Not even that we'd yeah. be able to see that, but talk to me about this. I mean, h- how much of this stuff is actually, does it make you feel good? Does it put you in a good place? Right? I mean, you know, what, what's the role of, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work for you. I think that it works for me. So therefore let me do it and, you know, leave me alone type of thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, like, it was my first thing doing imagery, like, for healing stuff, but, like, for sure, uh, visualization, I use it a lot. Um, it helps me, especially for things that I have a lot of control over, so um, I'll visualize a lot uh, time trial, um, just knowing, like, where I, I need to recover, where I need to maybe put more power, where I need to be more aero, where I can relax a little bit, where I can breathe. Um, all those stuff, yeah, it's when you, you're able to put in your mind and see it in advance, um, you're able to disconnect yourself and not think too much when you're actually performing. Every, everything is like um, happening more easily, more automatically. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, like you said, if visualization, like for sure, it works for me. Um, for performance stuff. So, like you said, I, uh, we, we have evidence and I don't see why it wouldn't work for, for the healing process. And for me, it was just also a way to um, um, maybe accept also um, my condition. Like, I'm not going to tell I was very excited. I'm not going to lie. I was very excited for Taiwan and just like having those calm moments and knowing that it's going to heal, knowing that everybody, everything's going to be okay and I'm going to be able to respond to the obstacle accordingly and get better from it. Um, just taking this time to, to like, it, it, it gave me a, a sense of power in my healing and a sense that I had something to do that I was, uh, that I had power over getting better, even if I was uh, un, unable to race. So, uh, yeah, mentally, you know, it, like it also like gave, like, kept me kept me motivated and kept me um kept me like with the training and racing mindset i feel yeah well there's yeah and and something else that's very well documented is the idea of a learned helplessness right and and the fact that like when we have folks that maybe have something like this happen to them right they have an event that seemingly they had no control over but again i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to this i'll be back to learn helplessness here in a second but one of the things that i'm gonna go back to is you mentioned crashing and you're like a crash and most of us crash uh yeah that guy came over on my wheel yeah that guy did this and caused everybody to do you know all these different kinds of things but it it sounds like you took a, a pretty critical approach to the crash and you said well you know, I turn around and I and I look back more than I should. Now, whether you were doing that in that moment when you crashed or not, 
you're not dismissing the crash as it's, every, it's everybody <laughs> else's fault, right? You're thinking, you know what? Maybe I had a little bit of a role to play in that. I mean, recently I had a crash. I was on my time trial bike, you know, going 30 miles an hour and my front tire blew out. And, you know, when people ask me like, what was, you know, what happened? And I'm like, well, geez, the front tire blew out. I mean, there was nothing I could do about that one. I mean, you know, I knew I was going to crash and it was like, okay, let's do this. But then I got, but then I got, I got home and I realized like the tires that I was riding were really old and I didn't do a good job changing them out. So at some point, the, the rubber on the tire was no good and the tire blew yeah. out. Now, if I look at it from a very fine perspective and just look at the crash itself and look at the blowout, I go, yeah, there's nothing I could do. That was totally not my fault. All I was doing was riding my bicycle. But if I expand my perspective a little bit, I go, you know what? There is something maybe that I could have done. And getting back to this learn helplessness, when we have that mindset and we have that perspective where we say, you know what? What? What can I do? How, how could I take some control of this thing? I may not be able to take all of the control of this thing, but just some of it, right? Um, you know, will the imagery help the healing of my collarbone? It's possible, right? I can't control where the break is, how severe it is, but at this point, I can control maybe some of the healing process. Yeah. And I feel like it really just motivates. You're right. It's 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 extremely motivating because now I'm not just sitting around waiting for things to happen to me or waiting for the ball to bounce my way or waiting for, you know, the, the right breakaway and the guy that's about to get into the breakaway to tap me and say, hey, I'm about to go into breakaway. You want to come with me? I mean, I'm 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 in charge of my own destiny and I'm making, you know, um, what we hear frequently from you guys is, well, what do you think about the course? And a lot of times the guys say it's honestly not the courses, the, the racers make the, the course, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. the field that makes the race hard or not hard, right? And it's this idea that you guys have of, no, I mean, yeah, there might be a lot of climbing or no, it might be really flat and you think that's easy, but it's not like, cause we're going to make it hard because all of us are thinking, you know, what can we do? Um, but to wrap up our time, I wanted to talk about something that maybe isn't getting a lot of airplay, um, with the racing scene here in North America. It's pretty, it's pretty barren, right? There's not a whole lot of racing going on. You know, races seem to be going away on the on the national level. So for you guys, and I know that like even local guys like me, we're feeling it, right? Um, yeah. so with less chances, you you train a lot and then you get this one race and it's like, okay, and then you have another month maybe before your next race. I mean, how do you deal with the fact that you're not gonna get a whole lot of chances to actually compete? and show off your skills and, you know, do those kinds of things. I mean, how do you balance that? How do you think about that? Because it's, it's something we can't control, right? I mean, it's a fact, it's your yeah. calendar. So how do yeah. you go about, you know, processing all of that? Yeah, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like the healing. Like I have no control over the calendar right now. Um, the only thing I have control over is showing up at the race the best as I could. So yeah, you need, you can. There's always two ways. You can feel like a, you can feel like a victim, or you can just feel like the, a creator, a creator of your own life. So, yeah, you just need to accept those conditions, and I, I just tell myself that I'm gonna show up the best as I can at those races. Like you said, sometimes there's one month and a half between races, 
So um, I feel like it just put maybe a little bit more pressure for you to perform when it's time to perform. But um, yeah, right now it's what we have to deal um, in like the professional racing in um, in America. And there's there's some goods you need you need to you you learn how to re- really like train well and know your body well. But um, for sure, we're missing. I think a big thing. Um, that we were already missing in North America was the ability to like sense the race and like be very comfortable in the peloton and everything. And like with the fewer and fewer and fewer races, um, those weaknesses are just getting higher. So I, I just make sure to do the most like local races that I can, even if I'm in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that oh, it's irrelevant. Nobody, nobody cares, but that's just experience that I need to have. So I'm going to, because there's no way I'm going to have the experience of a pack riding or even just a race feeling or the race speed if I'm just training by myself. So yeah, if I have to do like next week, I'm going to do a, I'm going to drive six hour, rent an hotel just to do a kind of a, not a local, but a, a race, Killington stage race in, um, in the U.S. just to have some, uh, some racing in my legs um, this month. So, um, yeah, I just deal with the condition and, um, yeah, other than that, there's, there's really nothing I can really do. Like it's up to the organization and my only job is to arrive at my full potential there. Yeah. Well, and it's a sensitive thing, right? Because, you know, the, the question that I was thinking about asking you was what if there was, you know, what if there was no racing, right? Like what if there, what if there weren't any races? I mean, would you still... Would you still ride your bike? You know, would you still do the structured training? Would you still push yourself on a daily basis? Like yesterday you were saying that, you know, you rode in like three degrees, which I don't know what that is for us Fahrenheit, but like in raining, I know that it's really yeah. cold. Um, That's like 35. You know, what, what's that? That's like 36, 37. Okay. 35. No, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so I, like I was telling you, it's like 90 over here in Texas right now. So <laughs> like, you know, if you, if you didn't have the racing, you know, would would you still have the motivation to to train? And, you know, there are some people that feel that, no, they wouldn't because they've got to have the competitions to be able to um, pull them along. Right. They've got to have something to look forward to. And I feel a little bit of that. I'm thinking, yeah, OK, I understand that. But at the same time there's tremendous joy and satisfaction that can come from actually doing the work Monday through Friday when you're going to race on the weekend, right? Like that's, there's a lot to be gained right there. And, you know, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a balance, right? Of like not necessarily needing the racing, but knowing that during the racing, you're going to be able to get out of yourself, maybe something you don't get during the training, not because you're not giving your absolute best, but because that to me is the role of competitors, it's yeah. to help you get more out of yourself. Like I, I tell some of the some of the people that I partner with, I say you should congrat you should pat your competitors on the back and thank them oh, yeah. for helping you to push yourself to a level that you wouldn't have gone, you know, had you been by yourself, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that's a like a great, uh, it's a very important thing, like to take competition as motivation rather than as like um, being jealous of it, like. Uh, I feel like envy is one of the most toxic thing. Like if you can just see other success 
and use it as inspiration and use it as motivation to motivate yourself. And I think, like you said, I think that's why racing is essential because racing allow you to like have the extra motivation and also have um, like being able to structure something about it. So like having a clear goal um, allow me to very uh, make a clear plan. So when I'm like, when I'm training, I'm not really thinking about the racing. I'm not thinking at all about the future results. I'm just like very focused on what I have to do today, how I need to like show up at my best and how I need to complete like every intervals or every hour on the training. But like I said, the ra- like racing is still essential because it allow me to structure those training and um, to have something also to motivate me to give like the extra the extra four percent that i'm not gonna give it if i'm just against myself i'm just like i don't know what it is but i'm a competitor and if i have someone that is racing me um i can have all the willpower in my life but i'm still gonna give just a little bit more well we all have that Uh, we all we all have that it's just there's just that extra little bit you know, you're yeah. riding the fan. You're riding the fancy wheels. The music is playing. There's yeah. there's people there. I mean, it's just it, it's just different, right? Um, yeah. But but understanding the role of the training and the important role that it plays in that. Okay, well, if you don't do the work during the week, you can have the you can you can have the music as loud as you want, and you can <laughs> have the fancy wheels as much as you want. But I mean, if you don't do the work, then it's not gonna it's not gonna happen for you, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, last question, Adam. What is your favorite race let's say in your career a, a memory something that you just kind of hold on to that was just your favorite thing um it's it's a very easy question to answer for me it's the grand prix uh, montreal um it's like the world tour race that happens in montreal so one day races um it's a circuit a 10k circuit in downtown montreal there's like a total elevation of like uh 4,200 meters. Ooh. It's a very hard race, but um, yeah, I've been lucky to be selected on the national team uh, last year um, because in like I'm not able to race on the world tour. Um, other than that, because I'm not on world tour team, um, and I've been like watching this race since I'm like I don't know eight or nine. I was just uh, taking bottles from uh, from everyone, and just like four years ago, if would would ask me um, if would have been possible for me to do that, I would have probably say yes. But like like with like a dream and uh, not really clear in my mind. So just doing that with like having uh, like I had like maybe two hundred uh, people that I knew on the course. So. Um, yeah, it was just a great experience. I was in the break all day, so I could hear everyone cheering me all the races. I had 30 or 40 watts more every time I hit the climb just <laughs> because like everybody that I love was there. And uh, yeah, we actually got cut on the last lap. And um, like when we got cut, the peloton passed us like a, like a missile. So I just, I just finished the last lap by myself. And I don't know, I just like took it all in at this point. And uh, I was like almost crying out of joy and just finishing and like seeing everybody. It was just like a perfect day for me on the bike. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that man, that's awesome. That that sounds yeah. super cool. And uh, yeah. yeah, so for the folks listening to this, I mean, we're on video, and he's like lighting up like a Christmas tree right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna end by this. I'm gonna interject into your story, like you were like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, a couple years before. Uh, I felt like m- maybe I could go, but again, it was kind of more like a dream. And, you know, that sounds like a lot of a lot of athletes' stories when they reach some kind of a milestone, they get to go to a big race, they achieve a result in a big race, they they do something that, you know, they've been thinking about. I mean, you've been watching the race since you were eight or nine years old, so it's not like you you knew what the race was and you knew the level and the caliber of rider that was there. And you know, like you said, you're training, you've got your head down, you're doing the preparation, you're doing all of the right things, you're maturing as an athlete, you know, you're taking this, this approach to it uh, of being, you know, you know, blue collar and learning and growing and developing and, and you know what you're doing, right? You're, you're getting on these teams and you're rising up in level and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm, I'm getting closer to being able to be a rider that can, can be invited to this race and do this caliber race. And so you, you have that knowledge um, you know, especially with power meters and metrics and stuff like that. But then all of a sudden you get the phone call or you get the email and it's like, Hey, um, we, we would like for you to come do this race for the national team. And you're just kind of like, you know, on the other end of the phone or looking at the email and you're kind of like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And, and for a lot of people, you know, that that's the narrative for a lot of athletes are just like, man, I've been dreaming about this since I was a kid, you know, um, because we get so focused on the process and our heads are down and we're working and we're working so hard. And we, it's almost like you're walking around the house and then you bump into a wall, you know, and you just didn't even know where you were going. You're just walking and all of a sudden you're there. Um, and it's just, it's neat, right? Because you, you think to yourself, I I was just, I was working so hard. I, I, I didn't even realize that I, I knew that I was close, but man, it's special when you get that call up and it's, it's not that you didn't have the confidence that you can compete there because you obviously, you made the breakaway all day. So you raced really well. You obviously belong there, but there's that little bit of a separation of, I, I feel like I am capable of this. And then having that little bit of evidence, uh, you know, one of the things that I say with the, the kind of the mindset coaching thing is, you know, sure, let's be positive. Let's be nice with ourselves. Let's have good self-talk. Let's have goals and let's make the goals, you know, you know, stretches for us and let's have dreams and let's do all those kinds of things. And I like that. I, I like for athletes to to reach far, but on the same hand, you know, every once in a while, we've got to get a little bit of evidence that we're, we're actually moving in the right direction. I mean, I can't keep saying, Hey, it's going to happen for you, Adam. It's going to happen for you, Adam. It's going to happen for you, Adam. And eventually you're going to say, well, Mario, where's the evidence that it's actually happening? And I, if I don't have a good answer for you, it's like you're going to get demotivated. And so yeah. we, we need to have those little points where like little things are happening for us. And, you know, um, that's also critical and also part of it. So but yeah, the GP Montreal, man, that's a big one. I, I know of that one. That's a huge, uh, huge race. So wrapping up, Adam, uh, what is so you're going to go do this smaller race this weekend. And then um, when will you be linking yeah, back up weekend. with well, next weekend, and when will you be linking yeah. back up with the team? Um, in a little while, actually, I'll I'll be doing um, uh, the two UCI races in uh, Canada, so uh, 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 Saguenay and both. And uh, after I'll be doing nationals, uh, pretty much by myself. James and Jordan are gonna be there, so that's like uh, yeah, a little bit of teammate there. 
And uh, yeah, next time I'm going to really link up with the team again. It's going to be at training camp for uh, preparation for Utah. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see the the guys back. You, It's been a great thing with Elevate. I, What I really love about this team, it really feels like a family. And it makes it so much easier to like pass a lot of time with those guys and to also work together. So um, yeah, it makes the process so much more enjoyable. And like just to to get back to what you said about like I think goals are very important uh, for motivation, like you said, and for like planning and knowing when where you want to go. But um, if there was one thing I was maybe doing wrong in the other years that I was very goal focused, so I was not able to accept any outcome that was different than what I was wishing for. But at one point, um, I think flexibility is very underrated and you have like to be able to take the opportunity, uh, opportunity when it's there. And I'm still like working a lot on this. And uh, one of the way I'm just um, being able to improve in that area is just to make sure I have like my two eyes on the process and what I have to do right now, rather than always having um, a possible outcome in my mind. And um, yeah, it allowed me just to be like a lot more present in the moment and not to refuse like anything that is happening. Because like, like I said, I was always like so much focused on the result that was just not actually like living the performance. And I was like getting my way because I didn't have my full attention in the performance that I was giving in that moment. So um, yeah, like you said, goals are there to help you be motivated, but um, other than that, they're they're not your primary focus. Your primary focus is to focus on what you can do right now, and also when you what you can learn from what you just did. So yeah, yeah. Well, and you 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 missed it, right? I mean, the bottom line is like for all of those competitions where you were so goal focused, um, you missed some really neat special moments, probably, yeah. right? Where you yeah. could have been, yeah. where you could have expressed some gratitude, or you could have had a different perspective, right? Because yeah. what we generally and I guess we'll I guess we'll chat for a couple more minutes because I think this is so important, right? Like when you have an athlete that is so goal oriented and they don't get, like you said, they, they don't get what they want, um, they're really, really quick to take the entire performance, all of it, right? The race was 200 kilometers and all 200 kilometers were just the worst thing ever. And they'll just throw it in the trash, right? And it's yeah. like, wait a minute. It's wait, wait a minute. It was 200 kilometers. That that was a, that's a long day. I mean, did you do like was everything terrible? I mean, did you put your kid on backwards? I mean, was it literally that kind of a day? And it's like, oh no, you know, they start to soften up. No, no, it actually wasn't. Actually, you know, I feel like you know in that first hour, I kind of did a little bit of a good job. And oh, okay, so wait a minute. So it wasn't a complete disaster. Oh, okay, yeah. In the last three kilometers, sure, you did something there that you know, yeah, that was yeah that that cost you. But the whole thing wasn't catastrophic, right? So, yeah. you know, just really having that perspective to be able to look at the performance and to be able to say all of it wasn't bad. Let's go back and revisit some of this because some things went well and some things didn't go well. And then the other thing that I really like to point out is, oh, so you had a goal. You wanted to be on the podium. Yes. OK, great. Um, and you didn't get on the podium. No, I didn't. Okay, so at what point did you decide that you were going to be okay with with getting seventh? And it's like, what are you talking about? I was never okay with getting seventh. And it's like, 
and and, it, and and it's like it's like exactly. So what you're telling me is what you're telling me is that up until you crossed that finish line, you still were going for a podium versus seven. And, and if the athlete says yes, then I say, well done. I mean, you know, unless you tell me, I, I know Mario, I sabotaged my performance. Like I literally, yeah. like, like I literally gave up or I literally did something to intentionally put myself in a bad position so that I wouldn't get my goal, which by the way, I mean, really nobody does really, right? Then I would say, okay, so if you did your best and you didn't get your goal, then I mean, that that's it. I mean, can can we yeah. not be satisfied with that? It, yeah. just, it just wasn't meant to be for that particular day. And, you know, it really allows us to move on. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, um, you know, what I like to say is, uh, all right, so I hope you had a great race weekend, but it's Monday and Monday's a training day. Like, let's yeah. go you know, get back on it. And, and for, for, you know, it, it's about longevity and it's about consistency for folks that are goal oriented that have a quote unquote, like race hangover. My race was so bad that like, I, I can't focus on training until Wednesday. Guess what? I'm two days better than you now. I'm two days ahead yeah. of you. I had a great training day on Monday and I had a great training day on Tuesday and you're just now catching up to me. And over time, that's going to be, a, that's going to make a huge difference. Right. Um, Oh, so yeah. I think that's like another being, good way to yeah. look at it. Yeah, being able to get up from losses as fast as you can, learn from them, and get back to work consistently. It's one of the greatest uh, assets of an athlete. You you say it perfectly. Like like you need to be like you need to be attached in in some way to the outcome, so you're able to have the motivation to put in the work. But um, you also need to value. Uh, the effort that you gave a lot more than the actual result. So, like you said, if if you gave everything and until the end, that's what it's what what is it it was what it was, and you can be proud of yourself because you achieve like your own standard of excellence. You achieve what what you had to do really, and what you had you you did what you control at your at the best of your ability. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing you can do. So why beat yourself over something that you don't have control over. Yeah. Right, right. Well, yeah, and and yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. We look at the competition, right? We look at the performance because like we said earlier, it it's it's going to take you to a place that you wouldn't go in training. So therefore, yeah. it's it's going to reveal some things about us that are going to tell us more about us on a more deeper level than training did. So absolutely we need to look at the particular performance, but you know, you're right. We need to, we need to be very, you know, we need to be very careful about how we do that because we can do it the wrong way and we can, you know, make performance analysis something that it shouldn't be. Right. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, you gotta be, you know, you really gotta be very careful about uh, how you choose to do that. So, yeah. but, uh, Man, well, Adam, I appreciate your time. You have been a fantastic guest. And uh, yeah, I mean, just some really, really good conversation. You are a guy that, um, I mean, you're, you're, you're a holistic, you know, athlete. I just, um, watching your social media stuff, which I'm going to let you plug here in a second. I mean, for folks that want to tune into that, it just shows that you've got a very well-rounded approach to everything that you do and you really work hard on the mind, which uh, is clearly evident in, you know, the way that you're able to pedal your bicycle. So um, I will leave that there. Uh, 
tell us where we can find where where can we find your stuff so that we can you know come along with you on your journey i mean you do lots of videos and interesting great things talk about books that you've read and such so Yeah, yeah, you can find me um, on Facebook and Instagram at uh, Adam Roberts, just, just my name. And uh, yeah, I try to share, like you said, I try to share book, try to share experiences um, that I learn along the way and that I learn from um, from the, the 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 like the experience I have. And um, yeah, if I can help people um, attain their goal, if I can help people have extra motivation. Um, just feel wonderful for me and just knowing that also people are behind you and that people live the same thing that you are going through it's not because like you're not a professional athlete that you're not exactly going to the same thing uh, I don't know it just feels great to uh, to like see that other people are going going to the same thing kind of thing as you yeah 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 I mean it's uh you know, you're, you're descending into Peloton with 175 guys and you guys are going 50, you know, 50 miles an hour, which I don't know what that is in kilometers. I'm sorry. And, and I'm descending in a, I'm descending in a Peloton of 40 people and I'm only going 30 miles an hour, but I'm scared of that. And you're scared of yours. And we're both, we have a common bond there, which is the fear of descending. It doesn't matter how many people are involved and how fast we're going. It's like you said, it's that, it's that common trend. And, you know, um, I'm right there with you for the, for the people that get, you know, quote unquote, give away their stuff. Um, you know, why, why do we give away our stuff? Well, you know, because I believe, and I know that you believe there's room for everybody at the top of the mountain. Right. And it's like, Hey, if you're watching my stuff and if you're listening to my stuff and you're getting better, then, then you're going to be a better bike racer. And then cool. Like when you're at the race that I'm at, great. You're going to be able to help me to be my best as well. Thank you. Right. And so we're just, we're, we're uplifting everybody to try to get everybody to, you know, let's all be better because if we all, if we're all better, then we will collectively all rise because then I'll look at you and go, Oh man. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. He's doing that. And cool. Let, let me, all right, let me up my game. Let me, let me train harder. Let me try this thing out, you know? And so, um, yeah, it works. And so I I really appreciate you and what you're doing. Thank you very much, Mario. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing when you realize that it's not a zero sum equation and that, when like everybody can profit from everybody's success it's not because the other guy is succeeding that it's not good for you uh just take it as inspiration take it to to learn from from him and we're just gonna get better together it's just gonna be better for all of us that's right well adam i appreciate you man thank you so much for your time yeah thank you mario for having me on the podcast it was great hope to see you soon